Our guest today has developed a new comprehensive evolutionary model of both depression and anxiety, which may prompt a radically new approach to psychotherapy. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt from Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, Idaho, your host, and with me today is Dr. Leon Sloman. Dr. Sloman is Associate Professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto and an Honorary Psychiatric Consultant at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. Now, Dr. Sloman, before we talk about your new model, uh, let's review the old ones. That's the way I'd like to proceed. What I'd like to talk about, firstly, is a biological mechanism in depression and how this can be relevant to doing psychotherapy. You know that depressive illness is exceedingly common. The lifetime incidence for women is something between 10 to 25 percent, and the prevalence amongst women is at any one time is between 5 to 10 percent. So we're dealing with a very common illness which is a little less common in males. But the question that arises is, why has this not been eliminated by natural selection? An attempt to answer that has been made by trying to come up with an explanation of what possible useful function depression could play. Sheldrup Ebby was a Norwegian zoologist who made observations on barnyard fowl and was responsible for coining the term pecking order. And he wrote about this in 1935, and he talked about how the more dominant fowl would peck the more subordinate one, and how the dominance hierarchy affected the pecking order with the more dominant fowl having first access to the food. John Price, in 1967, came up with an article based on observations on long-tailed macaque monkeys who lost in hierarchical encounters. And he noted that these monkeys exhibited what appeared to be symptoms of depression, irritability, and anxiety. And he proposed that this reaction to defeat served the function. The function he proposed was that these monkeys who felt depressed uh, or perhaps discouraged, would be likely to either run away or to submit. In this way, he suggested, a lot of unnecessary injury and even death could be prevented. And also, this mechanism preserved the stability of the hierarchy. And so he was proposing, therefore, a possible useful function for depression. And a variety of terms have been used to uh, describe the mechanism the term that I use now is involuntary defeat strategy. And it appears to me that this, this mechanism is present in most of us as witnessed by the way we react to defeat and victory. Perhaps, Leslie, I could ask, are you a sports player or do you have any interest in watching sports? You bet I do. Uh-huh. What sports do you play then? Um, I watch everything. I love football, but I play tennis. I see. Well, uh, that makes two of us. When you play an important game, how do you react if you happen to win? Um, well, I try my hardest not to gloat, but it's a little difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and when you lose? When I lose, I'm devastated. And so what I'm proposing is that your reaction to losing is a reflection of a mechanism that is probably almost all of us have. And that's the mechanism that I'm 
proposing is what I call the involuntary defeat strategy. Now, as it happens, because tennis has rules, we don't need the mechanism today, but hundreds of thousands of years ago, when there weren't any rules to dictate how people reacted to losing and winning, I would suggest that this mechanism that you have and practically all of us have could have saved a could have served a very useful function. Hmm. How so? Well, the point being, if you think about the qualities of depression, feeling helpless, hopeless, as you say, devastated, if you're engaged in a fight and where you've been really determined to win, I would propose to you that these features of depression, including feeling devastated, are uniquely geared towards making you decide to give up the fight, hmm. to, make it, to change your attitude from one of belligerence to one of, say, helplessness and hopelessness. What's the use of carrying on? I might as well submit, or I better get, get the hell out of here. Hmm. So I'm suggesting that that serves a very valuable function. Interesting. You know, uh, just talking about the animal models, I never realized that that's where the term pecking order came yeah, from. Uh-huh. So, so interesting. Now, do different types of mood disorders or anxiety have different evolutionary origins? Well, we're, we're treading now on sort of new ground. I think that one could possibly argue that, say, panic disorder, which is characterized by, I must get out of here as quickly as possible, could be related to the way an animal might feel in an adversarial encounter against someone that they perceive as more dangerous. So that type of anxiety could be very adaptive in terms of motivating the animal or the person to flee. I wonder if perhaps you'd like me to give you some examples of how this works in practice. Let's do that. But first, let's remind people that they're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Leon Sloman. We are discussing his theories about the evolution of depression and anxiety. Let's go ahead and talk about clinical examples then. How might this work? Well, I was seeing a very bright and very attractive 17-year-old young woman who came to me because she was complaining of feelings of low self-esteem. I knew her family as I had worked with another member of the family. And so towards the end of the session, I said to her, Kathleen, it seems to me that uh, you have decided that rather than challenging your mother, you've decided to try to keep uh, avoid confrontation by taking a one-down attitude, a one-down approach. And I said, One could argue that you are being self-sacrificing because you are doing this in order to maintain the peace and tranquility in your family. And after some reflection, she said, well, as a matter of fact, on thinking about this, I think I'd like to learn to become more assertive with my mother because I feel this would help me to become more assertive with other people as well. So that would be an example of how my way of thinking about this issue can be translated into clinical practice. And sometimes I might, in fact, spell out the model and describe it so that people understand what the basis is of my thinking. 
I can give you another example if you'd like. Please. I was seeing this middle-aged lady who was a regular churchgoer, and she had a family of six children, and she really doted on her six-year-old daughter who was killed in a tragic accident, and the whole family was devastated. And this lady was very depressed, and she stopped going to church. And um, at one point, I said to her, um, I wonder whether you are feeling angry with God. And she gave me a rather equivocal answer, so I thought I would. I was venturing into uh, rather foreign territory for myself, but I said, I wondered if you're afraid to let God know how angry you feel because of your fear of how God would react. With a tremendous affect, with a lot of feeling, she said, yes, of course, I don't want God to take away my other five children and my husband. I couldn't handle that. So at this point, I felt that I better get some backup. So I, well, I first said to her, I think that, uh, I think that God can handle your anger, and I think that God would prefer you to let God know how you felt rather than cut yourself off from, as she had done by not going to church. And then I decided that I would like to uh, um, get some support in, uh, for what I'd been saying, and I suggested to her that she go to discuss these issues with uh, a priest. And she was fortunately able to choose uh, wisely in terms of a person to discuss this with, and the priest did support what I had said to her. So that would be another example of how this mechanism uh, was the mechanism of what I call the involuntary defeat strategy was contributing to this lady's depression. And my intervention was geared to helping her to come up with a way of asserting herself and expressing herself in order to try to switch off this mechanism. Mm -hmm. So the point being that... Uh, if she is able to be assertive, for example, in this situation, express herself openly and directly to God, then uh, she no longer needs to, to resort to this defeat one this strategy or this one-down approach. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking many of our listeners, of course, are in primary care, and I'm wondering if they could use the idea strategy. I'm thinking of patients, uh, you know, one of the most difficult problems we all have is patients who don't adhere to proper diet or exercise sort of regimens, and, and um, I wonder if there's a way to translate this into primary care. <clears throat> That's a, you're raising ideas that I hadn't thought of, but um, I think one could, one could say that... Um, I see healthy self-assertion as going together with normal growth and development, which I see as a kind of an adaptive cycle that when one uh, responds to challenge and is able to overcome these challenges, one feels good about oneself and that this in turn uh, stimulates one to rise to, to further challenge. And that's what I call a positive cycle of adaptation. And uh, so... It seems to me that when uh, that uh, uh, if you feel good about yourself, then that would make sense that you want to treat yourself well. 
and wanting to treat yourself well would include uh, having adequate exercise, proper diet, and so forth. Um, Absolutely. Does so, that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense, and I think might help some of our colleagues um, that don't do traditional psychotherapy. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been my pleasure. We've been discussing the evolution of anxiety and depression with our guest today, Dr. Leon Sloman, who's developed a, a model called IDS, or the Involuntary Defeat Strategy. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and your comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. We have podcasts and on-demand features that will allow you to access our entire program library straight from your computer. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Phil Smith, Chief of Infectious Diseases at University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska. You are listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.